Welcome to the Halloween Unleashed Podcast. And now, here are your hosts for the week. Welcome, everybody, to Halloween Unleashed. I am your host, Chris Morgan. Uh, this is the mid-season finale. And initially, what I had uh, hoped to do for this episode was to um, air the audio portion of the live episode from Sunday, May 17th. That was all about photography and how to, how to take be- better pictures of your collection and uh, just better photography in general. The reason I can't do that is because uh, going back and replaying it, it doesn't work as an audio podcast. It really doesn't because everything was so visual and taught visually through a slideshow, slide deck presentation. Um, so unfortunately, you're not going to be able to get that. So what I have elected to do is um, I have been wanting to air this as a way back Wednesday, throwback Thursday type episode for quite a long time. Back in 2017, uh, when I was doing the HMMAT podcast, uh, I had a special guest on that uh, was a huge Return of the Living Dead fan, just like I was and still am to this day. And we did a watch along and talked about the film and um, we did that. So since I wasn't able to air the Halloween Unleashed live episode from this past Sunday, I am going to go back in time to 2017 as a Far Back Friday episode, and this will act as our mid-season finale. We will be back with new episodes on June 12th. Over the next few weeks, we will be airing uh, throwback episodes. The next brand new episode will take place on June 12th. And uh, the significance of that day, which is crazy, is um, that it, that marks the one-year anniversary of my dog's passing. And uh, that is extremely eerie, to say the least. Um, still battling with it. And um, that's just one thing I don't think I'll, I'll ever fully get over. But um, yeah, uh, June 12th. Starts uh, the Sandy Johnson episodes. Uh, There should be two of them. And uh, then on June 28th will be the next Halloween Unleashed live episode where we're going to bring Kara Strode herself back to the stage. Marion Hagen will be live on Halloween Unleashed live on June 28th. Um, There's probably going to be people listening to this and say, hey, how are we going to be able to get that photography episode eventually here's here's the truth of it you know when you advertise something for over a month and then you have i don't know several dozen people that rsvp that are going to be there um i understand things come up you know people couldn't be there i get it but where is the purpose of ever showing up to a live episode if you can just get it on a replay some of these are just going to be one of those things that never make it to another podcast it's just going to be one of those things that they're live episodes you catch them when they're live 
just like a live event that's ne that's never televised. You know, it's the same type of thing. You know, if you show up, they're free episodes, they're free shows. You show up, you miss it. Unfortunately, we gotta we gotta keep moving. Um, but I'm still working on ways to potentially get the episode out at some point in some format. Just haven't been able to figure out what that is yet. But um, with all that being said, we are going to get to the throwback episode from 2017 between Chad Kenny at Silent Stalker Productions and myself, where we did a watch along with Return of the Living Dead. Have a good one. Hey, these things don't leak, do they? Leak? Hell no. These things were made by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Welcome, everybody, to the HMMAT podcast. Hashtag for collectors by collectors. And we are recording this episode on June 9th, 2017. Not sure what day you're listening to this, but this is when we are getting this in the can. And I would like to uh, welcome my co-host this week, Mr. Chad Kenny of Silent Stalker Pro. How you doing, Chad? Hey, what's going on, Chris? Listen, man, um, we have a little thing that we do here on the show uh, when Kevin's here every week. And, uh, and that is uh, we have a hashtag out there that's called Mountains Are Blue. And that is uh, usually a cue for us to crack a beer. Do you have your beer? I got my beer. I got mine. There we go. Oh, yeah. So, anyway, um, Return of the Living Dead Part 1. And I can tell you a quick, um, a quick backstory on, on my experience is I actually didn't see Return of the Living Dead Part 1 first. I saw Part 2 first uh, when it was out on uh, VHS. Uh, my older brother actually uh, rented it, and he's seven years older than me, and he was uh, in 88 when that came out. I was 10, so he was 17, so uh, at 10 years old, I watched Return of the Living Dead Part 2, thought it was uh, pretty goofy but funny, and uh, I was like, well, I really want to see Part 1. I didn't think Part 1 at 10 years old was that funny. I was like, man, this is a lot darker and a lot scarier. It still has some of the humor in it, but it wasn't like so over the top um, that it was silly. It was actually part one was so much scarier, I thought, than, than part two. Because just the way the lighting and the sets and the zombies looked, I mean, they really wanted you to believe that this was a legit scary movie. But they just, now that I'm an adult and I go back and I watch it, I'm able to pick up on all the little innuendos and the tongue-in-cheek uh, type jokes that I just couldn't do at 10 years old. But it's kind of funny. Well, that was the big part about part one, you know, uh, <clears throat> a lot of the humor, um, they, uh, it was kind of like really the first zombie movie to actually be humorous, but still serious at the same time. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, the soundtrack was amazing. I, I mean, even to this day, yeah, it's very dated in the eighties, but I don't know, man. There's just something about that soundtrack that's magical, and we'll we'll probably pause for a couple of music breaks and play some of the stuff here tonight. But uh, but yeah, you know, Forty Five Grave. Do you want to party? Like just just the opening title theme is just amazing. They tried to redo it in part two, and I thought that 
you know, going back and listening to it now, like the trioxin theme in part two cannot hold a candle to part one. Sorry. Well, we're getting into the late 80s. They're kind of transitioning to a different style of music at that point. Different style altogether. But, uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll cover part two in long form at some point. I just figured, you know, it's like, you know, nice little backstory. When was the first time that you watched it? Oh, man. Uh, probably when I was about seven. So taking consideration in 88 when part two came out, I was just born. <laughs> so, um, you know, at that point, uh, let's see, that would be 95. I think that Blockbuster in my town had just opened at that point. Uh, before that, we were running movies at Farmore, if you remember that place. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's been a long time. That was where I used to rent Super Nintendo video games at that point. Uh, once that opened, oh, well, actually, you know what? Actually, it opened in 94, Blockbuster did. And uh, I'm from uh, Paducah, Kentucky, little small town. Um, but, uh, yeah, I uh, think... Uh, I used to, you know, I used to go there when I was younger. My parents, uh, my dad, and my grandmother, big influences on me as far as horror goes. Uh, they're huge Anne Rice fans, uh, so they basically didn't really care if I watched horror movies. So I've been watching them since I was a kid. You know, since I was like eh, five years old, probably. Um, yeah, rented a, a blockbuster, and uh, that was that was the end of that. You know, it was. Is one one of those movies that they would run on sci-fi or anything like that? So, uh, you know, I always loved it when I was little. Though I'd go uh, to Blockbuster and I'd always go to the horror section. I loved the box art on the VHSs; it was so cool. So, uh, usually, I, honestly, at that age, I would pick movies out just based on the box art. So yeah, so you you live in Kentucky. Have, have you been to the filming locations of, of this movie? Currently, I am actually living in Nashville, but uh, no, I've been to Louisville um, several times. It's uh, from here; it's only two hours, so it's you know not a big deal to drive up there. Uh, I haven't been to the locations. Um, I've actually got a friend that uh, I think he's actually got a website. I can't remember what it is right now, but he is big about traveling to locations i'm i'm sure he's done them before uh actually i think in august uh you know uh september we do the horror town um <clears throat> we're gonna go to uh, uh texas we're gonna do texas chainsaw uh friday the 13th remake uh just all kinds of stuff i think uh the faculty um i'm trying to think days confused obviously yeah gotta do that right and uh we're gonna i think think we're going to end up in uh, Dallas and then we're going to head back. So it's like a five day deal. Right on. Well, sometime maybe next year. I mean, I know that uh, in Louisville, I know in 2011, that was John Carpenter's first uh, uh, convention. Um, I went up to Louisville for uh, Phantom Fest and all that. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Old Ken, old Ken. Yeah. Yeah. So, um you know, maybe maybe sometime next year, maybe we can meet up, maybe there, and we can meet up with a couple people, and maybe we can make uh, make that one of the things that we do to hang out or something is go go around and visit the locations or something. Sure, that'd be awesome. All right, so um, moving on here, let's uh, let's talk about uh, um, 
the principal photography for Return of the Living Dead, it started on the 4th of July of 1984, and it ran through August 28th, 1984. So, I mean, you're looking at... You're looking at a, almost two months of shooting for that 90-minute film. And when you really look at uh, when they shot the original Halloween, it was done in two weeks. So, I mean, two months in 1984 on the budget that they were on, I mean, that's a long time to keep a crew. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, the original, I mean, for this may not be news to many people, but... I do know that the original Return of the Living Dead was to be directed by Toby Hooper um, and produced by George Romero as a direct sequel to Night of the Living Dead. But uh, Richard Rubenstein of Laurel Entertainment asked asked George not to get involved um, because he didn't want people to think this film was part of his Living Dead series. Rubenstein even got an injunction to try and stop them from using Living Dead in the title. But the MPAA arbitrators ruled in favor of the movie producers, which then uh, brought in Dan O'Bannon, who did work on Alien, Star Wars, Life Force, who we mentioned just a little while ago, Total Recall, and more. Uh, Return of the Living Dead was shot on four a uh, four million dollar budget. For I mean, let's let's take a look at that man. Nineteen eighty four, four million dollar budget. A lot of people say, oh, that wasn't much money for nineteen eighty four. That was because just just ten years later, who we're going to have a guest on our show here in a couple weeks, Daniel Farrens. Halloween six was shot for five million dollars, and that was considered low budget in nineteen ninety four. So, $4 million budget in 1984 had to be almost like double that. Oh, yeah. You know, that you mentioned uh, Halloween 6. Uh, last year at Horror Hound was a Halloween 6 reunion. Uh, on top of that, the Child's Play reunion, which honestly got through to, thrown together last minute. Um, but I got to hang out with a lot of the uh, H6 guys. Um, did the... Uh, the Q and A, uh, awesome. By the way, get to learn a lot of stuff about the film. Um, great flick, and uh, to think that they did on such a low budget, though. I mean, it's probably one of my top three Halloween flicks. It is for me too, and a lot of people are like, "How can you like that?" Because the story was shit. I mean, it's 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 talking about incest and all this other crap and the cult, all this crap. And I'm like, "Look, okay." Stop. Let's not get all like into that. Look at that Halloween film compared. I, I'll even hold it up to the original. Okay. Look at that Halloween film visually. And you know, oh, yeah, it looks great. It captured the essence of a Midwestern town in October better than any of the predecessors before that and any sequel since then. It had a look and a feel that has been unmatched. So I will hold the atmosphere up to any Halloween film in the series, including the original. And I know I'm probably everyone's jaw just hit the floor. But really, <laughs> there was no palm trees in the background. There was no green um, because it wasn't shot in the middle of spring in Northern California. It was shot in Salt Lake City, Utah. In October, they started filming on Halloween. I mean, we're going to cover that in long form, but 
you know, at some point with Daniel Farrens. But, I mean, think about that for a second. I mean, it's like the atmosphere alone sold that movie. And not, and not to mention The Mask. I thought that The Mask was the best one of the, of the entire sequels post-Halloween 1 and 2. I don't... First of all, everyone's like, well, what about Halloween 2 is the same mask? I don't look at Halloween 1 and 2. I look at Halloween 1 and 2 as basically the same film, just released at different times. It's an extension. Yeah. You know, and uh, I'll, everybody will probably hate me for this, but I'm more of an H2 fan than an H1 fan. <laughs> Are you really? Absolutely. Uh, actually, a lot of my, uh, one of my best friends, he, he's a huge... Uh, Halloween one fan, and he still hates me to this day for saying that I like H two more. Tell us a little bit about what you know some about some of the background on some of the actors that that were in this movie. Okay, so I'll just give a little rundown. We'll uh, we'll <clears throat> name the actors by their actual names, and uh, you know we'll talk about some of the other flicks that they're in. Oh yeah, so yep, time to crack another one. Hashtag mountains are blue. Oh yeah, they're they're definitely purple at this point. <clears throat> so uh, you know we'll go with a uh, you know Clue Golger, uh, Bert. Uh, another cool part about that is um, he's also in Nightmare on Elm Street Two, which was also released in 1985. Something we didn't mention earlier. <clears throat> um, we have uh, James Karen, you know Frank. Oh uh, Jesus. Oh, <laughs> Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> that's what I love about him. He over-exaggerates so much. And that's a little part of the cheese of the flick, you know, him going back and forth with uh, with Freddie. I love that. I lo- oh, love that. The 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 opening several minutes just with those two guys with the banter. It, oh, yeah. It walked you right into the film. And then, of course, they brought it back in part two, which was awesome. Yeah, that was something I was going to bring back that, you know. He, he comes back in part two as Ed. Uh, Ed and I Joey. Watched, I haven't watched part two in so long at this point. Uh, <laughs> uh, that'll be another thing we can cover at some other point. Yeah. Um, then we have uh, Don Kalfa, you know, Ernie. Um, maybe you can give me a little insight. Yeah, uh, did you know that he he was the one that killed Bernie Lomax in Weekend at Bernie's? Uh, yeah, you know, I did. I did see that. Uh, actually, have met uh, Bernie himself. Uh, great guy. Uh, funny story about that. Actually, it was a local convention here in uh, Nashville, uh, uh, and uh, I went up to meet him. I was going to get him on my Part Seven poster, my Friday Thirteenth Part Seven poster, because he's the doctor in that. <clears throat> and uh, <laughs> oh, that's right, to- he was. Yeah, yeah, that's a big deal right there, man. Uh, so I go up to meet him, and these two dudes are cosplaying the guys from Weekend at Bernie's. And I'm <laughs> I'm talking, yeah, I'm talking to them, and they come up, and they're like, Bernie! And it was just classic, dude. He was cracking up. Super cool dude, man. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was a good experience there. Um. Yeah, so back to uh, Don Kaufa, uh you have anything else to add on that? Um, yeah, I mean, the funny thing is, is uh, Clue and Don, um, their characters' name were named Bert and Ernie, characters after Sesame Street, <laughs> which was Yeah, I, funny. I, do, I do remember reading something about that. <laughs> uh, I don't know, was it actually planned, or was it kind of just indirect? It, it, you know, 
it, it's been it's been reported as it was planned that way, but for the most part, uh, Dan O'Bannon has actually gone on record saying it was honestly a pure a pure coincidence. I mean, Dan's no longer with us, so yeah, passed know. away in oh nine oh nine. It was cancer, wasn't it? Uh, I believe so. Yes. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, but it's still it's still kind of funny, you know, Bert and Ernie. But uh, you know, Clue Don. Uh, funny thing is about um, uh, going back to James Karen's character is Dan O'Bannon was actually going to play that character, and then James Karen came in and read for it. And Dan's like, yeah, I'm no longer the man for the job. He's he's definitely it. <laughs> Put him to shame. Um, <laughs> Clue's uh, character of Bert was actually originally they were trying to get Leslie Nielsen to play Bert Wilson. Yeah, I do remember that. Uh, I don't know if it was a money thing or he just wasn't interested. I can't remember. I read about it a little bit. Yeah. Um. Jewel Shepard, who played uh, Casey, um, she originally was going had auditioned for the role of Trash, but she declined uh, because she found out what wardrobe or lack thereof uh, <laughs> consisted of. So the role was assumed by Linnea Quigley, who became a B flick scream squee, scream queen. Man, I gotta stop drinking beers. Uh, but the reason that Jewel turned the role down is because she was an actual stripper before the sh- before the movie, uh, which I know you have a little bit more backstory in that. But Jewel did not want to basically get on screen and uh, and do what she had been doing in the strip club. She wanted something different. Yeah, basically, with the backstory of it uh, was that Dan O'Bannon was a <clears throat> avid <laughs> guest at the strip club in which Jewel was working at at the time. And basically, he saw her, uh, probably saw what he liked, you know, uh, <laughs> and he, uh, he, get, he you know, offered her to do the audition. I believe she did a couple of uh, smaller movies prior. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, so more about the John Russo thing. John Russo actually wrote the script, Return of the Living Dead. I have this in my notes here. And at the same time, George George was uh, doing Dawn of the Dead, 1978, an independent producer. Tom Fox bought Russo's script. He set up production and gave the script to Dan O'Bannon, which we all know. Uh, O'Bannon said he wouldn't do it because... uh, the way it was written because he felt it was too 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 much of a serious attempt at making a sequel to Night of the Living Dead and he didn't want to intrude on George's uh, turf so it was rewritten with more humor and he came in and put the polish on it and then he was eventually given the director role yeah I believe that originally the beginning of the movie and I think that's what you're getting at uh, with it being really close to Night of the Living Dead as a sequel was it's supposed to start out as a funeral setting, and as you know, the funeral uh, processed. Uh, the uh, father of, I think, I believe it was a child that passed away. Uh, he actually was told to drive a stake into the brain of the deceased in order for the uh, the 
the child did not come back to life. Oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> did you know that some of the zombie extras were paid more to eat real calf brains in the film? I did read that. And I believe that also Dado Bandit uh, actually ate the calf brains himself. Oh, God, man. That's disgusting. I think it was kind of a selling point. I think he was like, hey, I'm going to pay you more. Just eat these calf brains. And I'm sure they were all about it. (laughs) Ugh. Ugh. Well. Um, What else, uh, what other actors uh, do you have? Of course, we'll hit on Tom Matthews, Freddy. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean, of course, he is Tommy Jarvis in Friday the 13th Part 6. There's a lot of overlap here. There's a lot of people that are in, like, Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street. Um of course, uh, which is a cool fact that I actually didn't know, and I probably should have since I've followed the whole process leading up to the release of the Friday the 13th game. He actually reprised his role and did the voice of Tommy Jarvis in the video game. No kidding. That's interesting. Yeah, and he also, I mean, he also, yeah, he also came back as Joey in uh, Return of the Living Dead Part 2. Oh, yes. Um... The combination to the lock on the freezer door, which we'll cover here in a few minutes, is 22 right, 4 left, 10 right. I'm seeing a shirt. Yeah, I didn't remember that part. I'm, sh- <laughs> I'm seeing a shirt of that someday. Oh, yeah. Um, obviously, this was followed by four lesser sequels behind it. Return Living Dead Part 2, 3, 4, and 5. And none of them... None of them continued the mythology of part one like they were all i mean part two tried to um part three was off the charts ridiculous i'm sorry i don't for anybody that likes that movie i'm just like no and part four and part five were just abominations (laughs) that's pretty typical of uh sequels to an 80s flick well we did um We are going to play a voice memo uh, from Jay from Queens. Thank you, Jay. Hey, what's up? Uh, This is uh, Jay Roth from Queens, New York. I'm just sitting back watching uh, Return of the Living Dead. Movie, not that I've forgotten about, but uh, Chris mentioned it the other day on Facebook and uh, just popped back in my head, so I popped it in. I don't know. I think it's probably one of the first... first, uh, Horror films do the perfect mix of um, humor and horror in one. Really can't find anything wrong with the movie. It's pretty much perfect from beginning to end. Um, I told Chris I was gonna I was gonna post this up and basically just give my opinion on the film. Um, got a bunch of great actors from the '80s in it. I actually saw it in the theaters with my father. I don't remember how old I was. I think I was probably born in 78, so I was maybe about, I don't know. I don't remember what year exactly it came out, 86 or 88. But um, it's definitely a true classic. Uh, it's a shame that a lot of these uh, toy companies don't try to get the license to put out more figures. I mean, they put out the Tar Man, and that's it. But, you know, if they got the license for Return of the Living Dead, without a doubt, I don't see why they don't put out any more characters, more zombies, more of the characters, just in general. But uh, what's your opinion on the situation, especially from the from uh, looking at it as a collector's point of view with toys? I'd like to hear what you guys got to say about that. 
do you know anybody out there right now that's making uh, really good replicas of the star of of, uh, of the Tarman? I've actually seen some. I couldn't actually uh, reference uh, an indie artist at that point. Uh, I've seen, uh, you know, latex versions. I've seen resin bust versions. Maybe you actually can fill me in on that one. Um, I don't really know too many people. The only one I know of that did one, um, well, I knew I knew of two people that did anything. Return of the Living Dead. Uh, one of them was a. Uh, Raging Zombie Studios, which was Elliot Britt's. He uh, that's that's what I was actually thinking about. Yeah, yeah. He did a he did a latex version, and actually Sam McCain, uh, God rest his soul. He uh, he uh, actually because uh, he and I used to buy barrels of latex um, from the same company and the fifty five gallon drums that you know basically you got to pail out yourself. Um, and when he would empty that entire uh, canister, what he would do, I mean, it was the canister just like in the movie. He would basically, he would empty it out, and he made a prop, uh, a resin bust prop of the Tar Man pre-getting melted. Yeah, and, yeah, that's probably what I'm actually thinking about. Yeah, and it, it was fantastic. I mean, like, the attention to detail was amazing. And now we're going to take a music break, and we will be back in five... Hold 
Okay, so we're back from the music and love that song every time I hear it. Now we get to break down Return of the Living Dead. Here we go. Chad, I'm going to let you start. What's the first thing that we see? <clears throat> so we get into the beginning of the flick, uh, you know, that the events portrayed in this film are all true. Oh, the absolutely. They're, they're, they're true. It's all real. <laughs> the first tongue in cheek. Oh, yeah. That's the best part. That's why I love this flick. It's trying to be serious, but comical at the exact same time. So, <clears throat> yeah, we start out with uh, uh, them showing the uh, shot of the, you need a medical supply facility. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, let's get that. You need a. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it says uh, it's uh, starting on July 3rd of 1984. At 5.30 p.m., guess at this point, they're pretty much closing down for the day. It's what it seemed like, anyway. Well, yeah, Bert's trying to get out of there. Our first introduction to him is totally different to the guy that comes back to handle the crisis a little bit later on that that, that we get into. But my our, our first introduction to him, I'm like, I just look at him as like this kind of dopey owner that really he was just going to be like this one-off and be done. And it was just like, well, thank God the guy's kind of a dope. But... It's funny because Clue, actually, when he comes back into the crisis mode where he's trying to help them get rid of the cadaver and all that, and then throughout the rest of the film, he is, like, one of my favorite characters of the entire film, you know? Uh, so what was your impression of him? Uh, I mean, the impression uh, First, right off the bat? Yeah. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I kind of agree with you as far as that goes. I thought he was kind of just going to exit... And the movie is going to continue from there. And he was just going to be there for that, you know, five seconds that he was there. Well, one of the things that I that I noticed, like, right off the bat is it starts differently than any horror film that I've ever seen. It, like, really starts off with this really, like, you know, you got that you got that film is real thing that we've already talked about. And then it goes into the tongue in cheek. You need a medical. But the banter back and forth between Freddie and, and James Karen, uh, a Frank is so well done and those characters are so likable that you're just you're drawn in by their screen presence and it's not like that they were like academy award deal but you know this film is what it is it never tries to be anything that it's not and i think that plays to the charm of not only the film but it actually lends the credibility to the characters that we that we root for i don't think that we got enough of freddie and frank personally before they turned into dead people now you get some excelsior over there and lay it in that crate. Make a nice little Betty buy for this little lady. Okay. Good work. We want her to be comfortable. Now help me get her in. Grab her legs. Okay. Now you get some of that styrofoam popcorn. Spread it all around. Don't be stingy. Uncle Bert's paying for this. More, Freddie, more. Okay, that's fine. Now spread it around. That's right. You're doing very nice work. Thanks. You're going to be fine in the warehouse Frank, business. Where do you get all these skeletons from? Oh, they come from India. Oh, India? International treaty. All skeletons come from India. No kidding. How come? How the hell do I know how come? The important question is, where do they get all the skeletons with perfect teeth? I'm going to ask you a serious question. How many people you know die with a beautiful, perfect set of choppers in their puss, huh? Nobody I can think yeah. of. Yeah, no, I think that there's a skeleton farm over in India. <laughs> Jesus. Come on, kid. Follow your uncle here. 
Here we go. Don't have to tell you what these are for. Ba-ba-ba-boom. Here we've got the prosthetic devices all around here. Look under there. Wow. Wheelchairs. Right. Now, Freddie. It's a great. Here's something you don't see very often. You're a privileged person. These are split dogs. Wow. Yep, for veterinarian schools. Oh, we get a lot of orders for split dogs. That's really rad. Yeah. <sighs> don't fool around. You're learning. Over here, Freddie's where we keep the fresh cadavers. We sell these to medical schools and for the U.S. Army for ballistic tests. Well, say hello. We used to get more inventory than this, but uh, yeah, we're expecting the shipment on Monday. How many bodies are in here usually? Well, you know, you don't want to be overstocked. And like the restaurant business, you don't want your inventory to lose its freshness. <laughs> Tell you what I'll do, kid. Teach you how to fill out these shipping forms. Look alive. Let's just talk about it. You know, um, he starts talking about, you know, the... You know, uh, like the split dog and all that stuff. You know, like oh, this is a dog that was sent here, and then you have, you have the butterflies. As you know, it's just a camera pan, but you see the butterflies on the wall. And then after the intro credits, you come back, and the and the butterflies are fluttering on the on the wall. And then it's like when they takes them in and shows them like the shows them the meat locker with the cadaver in there. It's like there's there's more foreshadowing and then he says look alive once they leave and it's just like i thought that was so brilliantly done you know and it's just like all these little things all these little subtle things that dan put in the movie that if you really go back now from a different perspective and watch it you're like man why didn't i pick this up on the first time now in my case i was 10 years old i wasn't going to pick up on all these little things but someone coming in now, I mean, this all of this stuff is foreshadow of things to come if you really pay attention to the dialogue. And that's why it's so great with the cinematography. They made sure that they hinted at every one of those aspects. The dog, the, uh, the, the butterflies. Were, all the bases were covered. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's what makes it great. You know, that's, that's why the foreshadowing is there. You know, it really helps out to kind of make the movie once – you know the uh, the toxins introduced, and you know. Well, before we get to the toxins, man, we we, we, we go to the punks walking on the street. Which, out of all the scenes, I thought that that scene could have been cut. I mean, I, I understand why it's in there, but just the performances in that scene is so bad. You know? Oh yeah, I agree. And you got a mod podge group of people that just like if you look at from a from a distance to look at. I mean, I know I understand it was the eighties. But what the hell is Tina doing hanging out with any of those people? She is like millionaire's club, and then she's hanging out with a bunch of trashy punks. It doesn't fit. You know what I'm saying? It, there's, there's something wrong there. Well, you say that, but hey, man, everybody was looking to party. You know, you got to party with who you can. <laughs> yeah. Freddie always knows where a party is. Oh God! Yeah, oh God. Yeah, that's the che- I honestly think that's the cheesiest part of the flick. You can tell just them that back and forth party, party. Let's find out where we can party. You know, it's uh, 
it, it, it doesn't it doesn't feel that great, and that's why I do agree with you as far as cutting it out of the actual film. Right. I mean, I mean, I do understand the fact that they need to introduce the characters, but it 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 wasn't the best way to do it. Um, because the dialogue's not very, it's just not well done. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And then we end up, we get the, the two, four, five trioxin scene between, uh, Freddie and Frank. Did you see that movie? Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one where the corpses start eating the people, right? Sure. What, what about it? Did you know that movie was based on a true case? <laughs> Come on, you're shitting me, right? I ain't never been more serious in my life. That's not possible. I mean, they showed zombies taking over the world. Well, they changed it all around. What really happened was, back in 1969 in Pittsburgh at the VA hospital, there was a chemical spill and all that stuff kind of leaked down into the morgue. And it made all the dead bodies kind of jump around as though it was alive. What chemical? 245 trioxin, it's called. It was to kind of spray on marijuana or something. And the Darrow Chemical Company was trying to develop it for the army. And they told the guy who made the movie that if he told the true story, they'd just sue his ass off. So he changed all the facts around. So what really happened? They closed it all down, see? And the army shipped all that contaminated dirt and all those dead bodies out. And they kept it a secret. So how come you know about it? What typical army fuck up? The transportation department got the orders crossed. And they shipped those bodies instead of the Darrow Chemical Company. Actually, you know, I kind of researched that a little bit, and of course, you know, the 245 trioxin's not an actual chemical by any means. It's but, not, uh, it's not real, but it said in the very beginning that the film is real. Everything in it is 100% true. Oh, totally accurate. Uh, yeah, so I, I kind of found that interesting. I kind of dug into that a little bit. And I believe when they wrote it, and this is actually a cool part about it, they actually derived that idea off of <clears throat> dioxins, which uh, actually uh, dioxins make up the chemical Agent Orange. So I think, uh, you know, that ties into the whole military, you know, aspect of it. So it kind of makes it believable in a way. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, going back to the punk scene, uh, there was one line in there that I, I left out that I had in my notes that I absolutely loved. Was um, I forget the dude's name? Like the uh, he's gone on to be popular in other films. It was the guy that was obsessed with Casey. Was the nerd of the group? What do you do? You, do you remember his character name? Because it slips my mind. Is that Chuck? Yes, Chuck. Well, you know I should be shot for this, and we're doing a. We're doing a, we're doing a Return of the Living Dead episode, and the host doesn't even know the damn name of the character. That's that's <laughs> awesome. But uh, but he says I like death with sex, and he says how about you, Casey? And she says yeah, fuck off and die. <laughs> oh yeah, say that, that's the only part about that whole dialogue that I do like. Yeah. Do, you, do you like do you like sex and death? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, fuck off and die. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I mean, for this not being a sequel to Night of the Living Dead, I mean, it was definitely, I in, in my mind, a spiritual, like, uh, homage to to Night of the Living Dead because it's like in in this, you know, Night of the Living Dead is referenced in that two four five trioxin scene. And they try to make it seem like, hey, that was an actual event that happened that they made a movie out of. And all this stuff is real. They just had to change things up so they didn't get their ass suit off. Yeah, I could see it that way. Yeah. And then it was like the most I just off oddball thing. I mean, it was it was odd to me. But the odd part of that dialogue was... Um, that they wanted to spray it on marijuana or something. It's like, okay, why would you want to spray something on marijuana that brings the dead back to life? That doesn't make any sense. Well, I mean, if you think about it, of course, at that point, it was starting to be a little more criminalized than it was maybe in the 70s. That was kind of the aspect of it. Okay. Trying to keep people away from it, you know, keep the prohibition going. Um. But I I love James Cameron's de, uh, James Cameron James Karen's delivery on on everything in this scene. It's just like the way he was telling it was like like an old vet just telling this war story to a to a young chap. I just thought it was just I thought it was brilliantly done. And then his whole dialogue with his uh, with his wife, and uh, he answers he's like, "Oh hi, honey. Yeah, I'll be home in about an hour. Yeah, keep the pot roast hot." And he goes, yep, sure, love you too, honey, yeah. Hello? Oh, hi, honey. Uh, no, I'll be home in about an hour. You keep the uh, pot roast hot, okay? Yeah, sure, I love you too, honey. Yeah. Kiss, kiss. Kiss, kiss. And he hangs up the phone, he looks over at Freddy, he goes, you want to see him? <laughs> want to see him? See him? Corpses. What are you talking about? They're down in the basement. No. Come on. No way. <laughs> and he makes this weird, over-the-top face. It was so brilliantly done. Yeah, that's that's definitely well, like in between the two characters. Yeah, they're very. Uh, they they exaggerate their yeah their expressions and their dialogue, and uh, of course that goes throughout the movie. The exact same thing. Yeah. One thing I, I, I did make a note of in this scene is like when he answers the, the phone call from his wife, Freddie was so spooked out. As soon as the f- phone rings, he jumps like crazy and knocks like the pins out of the cup. And it just, I don't know, it's just that little thing. I'm sure it was probably ad-libbed by Tom Matthews just to add a little bit extra to the scene. But it was, it was great. I, I started laughing my ass off when I saw it. Oh, yeah. But then um, when they go down to the basement next, and once again, foreshadow. Hey, mind the third step. It's a bitch. Frank mentions that third step that ends up coming into the gag later on when uh, Tarman's chasing uh, Beverly Randolph's character. Yeah. It just once again more foreshadow. Every base is yeah, covered. That, yeah, that third step's a bitch. <laughs> yeah, that it is. Um, then we get the leak, 
um, which was which is great. I mean, it was like you know, you, you obviously once again, why in the hell would these guys keep these canisters? from the army that's been there for 14 years. Hey, the army made a mess up that, that, uh, that, that, that's been here. It's not supposed to be here. I don't want this shit here. Send it back. Why didn't they just send it back? That's part of movie magic right there. (laughs) I I guess. (laughs) But then, but then, you know, uh, I love the line is like, Hey, these things don't leak. And he just taps it. (laughs) The whole thing just, explodes basically with this smoke hey these things don't leak do they leak hell no these things were made by the u.s army corps of engineers <laughs> kind of reminds me of freddy whenever they melt freddy's face uh i think i don't know if they went over this in the uh, more brains documentary but um i think what they did is they sculpted the corpse and they melted it from the inside of the canister the actual glass cracking was totally like basically ad lib. It just happened, and it made that little scene that much better. Really, I didn't even know that. It's something I didn't know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, but the let's talk about the intro scene just a little bit. I mean, just that whole intro to everything and seeing everything come to life, and just the just the musical score was brilliant. Oh yeah, that great '80s cheese action there. Uh, I always hear that that main theme. I hear that bell, and I always think Taco Bell back in the day. <laughs> it sounds yeah. exa- it's, it sounds the exact same sound bite. I always remember the the dun 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 dun. dun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but then we end up we we get introduced to this army guy and his wife, and. This guy comes in. It just seems like this guy throughout the entire film. Every time we see him, he's just not having a good time with his life at all. It seems like he absolutely hates his wife with a passion because she's like, "Oh, I made you dinner and I made lamb chops," and he's like, "I had lamb chops for lunch." Which who has lamb chops for lunch? You know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you can definitely tell that you know they're both miserable because of this whole situation with these canisters. They haven't been able to find them for so many years. Yeah, thanks, Unita. Yeah, you thanks for ruining two people's lives. You know what that tells me? Is this this guy's not very good at his job? I mean, it's like didn't someone document where those canisters were, what truck they were on, what route he went? There had to be some way to track that shit. Even in '85, come on. It's all by paper. This isn't this isn't modern day. <laughs> oh, I know that, but still, come on. You got something no. that 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 is that sensitive. You're gonna know where it is. You would think so. You would think. You'd- but then you know he walks to this house and he's got this little setup where like it looks like uh, you know Teletran one from Transformers in his in, in his bedroom and <laughs> <laughs> he's just got this weird setup but it's funny. Then we get the uh, the title card of seven thirty Eastern PM Eastern Daylight Time and uh, you know they're they're I guess apparently the punks are going to go pick up uh, Freddy. And uh, so they can go party and uh, they realize that he's not going to get off for another couple of hours. So they decide, hey, why not? Let's just go hang out in 
quote unquote resurrection cemetery. Yeah, how cheese is that? <laughs> exactly. So then uh, they drive into there, and then um, we get uh, we get Mister uh, Freddie and Frank uh, coming out, coughing up a storm, sweating profusely. That's one of the notes I wrote down. Like they were sweating like hell. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was they they sold it very well, actually. They did, and a little over the top. But then it's like, you know, Freddie's talking about all the all the chemical smell that he has up in his nostrils and everything like that. And what does Frank do? He grabs a can of Lysol and starts spraying it around. It's oh like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, if this shit's <laughs> embedded into your nostrils, you're not getting that stench out with a spray of Lysol in the air. I just thought that was funny. Oh. <laughs> 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 You know, it's funny. I've rewatched it several times in the past week or so, and uh, every time <clears throat> Freddie comments about that, I kept thinking he said, and said, said, I've never smelled anything like that. It sounds like he says, I've never smoked anything like that. <laughs> That's funny. I'm going to have to go back and watch that. Yeah, it, it's, it sounds like he kind of could say that I haven't smoked anything like that, which makes sense with his persona as his character is. Yeah. yeah. And then all of a sudden we hear the sound of a dog. You hear that? What the hell's going on here? And then we come to realize it is the half dog, the split dog. And uh, I, I, I have a note here. I, I guess apparently, like the the prop guy can't not remember his name for to save my life. But he was actually wanting to actually put a Great Dane as the split dog, but they didn't have the budget to allow him to do it. Yeah. Uh, plus, we don't need the animal abuse. Well, well, we get it. They start beating the shit out of it with the baseball bat. Yeah, Frank just straight up goes there. He's oh, like, what, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Let's kill it. Yeah, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> but um, it's just funny. It's a, it's a completely different Frank than what we met like, fifth, like 10, 15 minutes earlier where he was like this wise old veteran, and now he's just a bitch. <laughs> Total bitch. Total yeah. Bitch. Um. But then I think it's funny when he's like, uh, they get into the office and, uh... Are we going crazy? No, it's that crap on the tanks! They've got them chemicals! It's all over everything! Stupid asshole! Watch your tongue, boy, if you like this job! Like this job! Think, think! He's like, this job? (laughs) Well, well, think, think! We're gonna call the boss! And then all of a sudden he picks up the phone and starts using one of those ancient wind-up dial phones, desk phones. Oh, God. I remember those when I was a kid. And then it's funny. Even It's like, and this is all James Karen. It has to be. There had to be no direction on this. 
Now, I, I believe there's a lot of ad-lib to that. There, there, there had to be in this particular moment, because I'm not sure if you picked up on it, but the dude takes a sip of water, fixes his hair, shuffles his shirt, all to have a conversation with his boss. Yeah, I did not notice that. That's hilarious. <laughs> Bert, Frank, we have a little problem. Yeah, I just thought that was absolutely hilarious. And then, of course, you know, you had the butterflies fluttering in the background. Once again, we saw them earlier. The cadaver yelling, etc. And uh, then we end up, after that scene, going to the back to the punks in the graveyard. And this is when Linnea's... Uh, uh, scene really comes to life when you know when he talks about you know about fantasize about being killed and then spiders like never and i don't think about dying too much and then she starts going about the horrible ways to die and what's what's ironic about this is once again all bases are covered because she basically tells you exactly how she's going to die yeah it's a total (laughs) prelude yeah definitely yeah and then uh then she gets up, and then um, <laughs> I I don't know who's in the background. They says, "Well, let's get a light over here." Trash is taking off her clothes again, and it's like it's like it's almost like this happens like every every time they all get together. It's like, "Oh well, she's gonna take off her clothes again. Get some more light over here so we can see her vagina again." You know? Yeah, you wonder why they're all partying together. That's that could be a possibility right there. <laughs> and, and and why she called trash? Has she got the herpaderp or something? I mean, what's going on? <laughs> but uh, did you know that um, originally in that scene, when she strips down completely naked, which, by the way, hats off to her. I mean, the, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm, I'm not stripping down in front of people I don't know, let alone an entire film crew. You know, I'm just not doing it. Oh, yeah. It. I, I don't care. You can, you can flash... 10k at me to get to to get totally nude nobody would pay me that believe me but uh <laughs> but you could flash 10k at me and i still wouldn't do it in front of 20 plus people so anybody that can do that on camera kudos but uh she initially did it the producer walked off the set because you know back in 1985 it was very common for a woman to have a lot of bush and she had a full bush, and he's like, "We can't show that, you know. Like they'll they're gonna eat us alive, you know, with the with the ratings." So then they so then they made her go shave, completely, completely <laughs> everything off, the way most chicks do it today. And then the producer's like, "Oh my god, that looks worse." <laughs> so um, imagine the way uh, Linnea is feeling at this point. Now they send her to go get a prosthetic made of her vagina so they can cover it up and so so that they can still keep her nude. So yeah. Know, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah, I believe they use alginate in yeah. that. Yep, they poured um, it they poured it right down her pants. Yeah, and uh guess what, you know, at that point, you know, silicone even nowadays is super expensive. So, you know, I, I use alginate at work quite a bit mm-hmm. um so yeah they did that and then you can actually kind of see it as she's dancing uh you can kind of see it's not so seamless you can kind of tell it's almost like a like a cod piece in a way yeah yeah absolutely but she sold it 
Absolutely. She was she was a true champ for sure. So then we go back to uh, you need a medical supply and Bird is back and he said, you did what? You opened it. You stupid moron. You idiot. Haven't I told you to never go near those fucking tanks? And then <laughs> and then it's like uh, Frank once again being the bitch. He's like, what are we going to do? And then he's like, I'm going to be sued by the Darrow Chemical Company. That's what's going to happen. You know, <laughs> I'm going to be investigated by the federal government. I might even lose my business, Frank. I might even go to jail. <laughs> <laughs> On the other hand, if we destroy it, all this evidence around here, we keep our mouth shut. I love this right here. I just love this exchange. I don't know if it was any ad lib or it was just totally 100% direction. But I love, absolutely love, when he says, I have one question, Frank. This guy's screaming in here. You sure he's a dead cadaver? Let's open the door and find out. No, I'm sorry, Frank. I'll take your word for that. He's like, yeah. And then once they, once uh, you know, Freddie opens the uh, door, you know, <clears throat> Bert basically knows what to do, and that's the whole total reference to not the living dead. Destroy the brain. The brain's right. <laughs> In that movie, they destroyed the brain to kill him. Is that what they did? The brain's right. Yeah. But um, here's another foreshadow, and not a lot of people pick up on this. I picked up on it even at ten years old when. Everybody says when the when the cadaver comes out and just attacks Bert, why didn't he attack Freddy and Frank, who was standing right there? They're, yeah, al- they're, they're already dying. <laughs> no, seriously, they're already dying. So therefore, it's like something like you know, basically, his smell for brains is being turned off to them because he's going straight to the living source. Yeah, exactly, and that could be referenced to any kind of modern-day zombie movies. You know, there's a lot of movies where people, like, cover themselves in in guts and blood, so then they don't, you know, they throw the scent off, basically. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, I think, um, I think that whole thing, once again, was another foreshadow, and that was just, once again, all the bases were covered on that. And then you have, uh, you know, the whole thing about, uh, he's like, you're... He comes out, you brain him with that axe. Oh, Jesus! <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> here, hold this, Frank. Oh. Now listen to me, both of you, very carefully. Freddy, you got to open that door. Come here, you stand right over here. Frank, right here, and when it comes out, you brain it with that axe. Oh, oh Jesus! Jesus. Oh, it's so good. What's the matter with you, Frank? Fred, come here, stand by the door. And he's like, he's so in control. This is where I was just like, I love this character. Fred, come here. Get down there. Please, stand by the door. It's going to be all right, son. All right. I don't think I can do this, Fred. Well, you damn well better. You got us into this. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's funny about, like, with Frank, though. I think, like, uh, you know, Tom Matthews' character, Freddie, he kind of picks up on that. They start playing off, and they do that high-pitched you know, voice back and forth the whole time. Yeah, absolutely. And he's like, uh, and he's like, you know, they're just shouting, the brain, the brain, the brain. Hold it! Ah! 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 What the hell's going on, Bert? The brain! The brain! I hit the fucking brain! Then do something else, for God damn it, they don't say! Hold him down, Frank. Ah! 
I love when Freddy screams out. He's like, he's like, he goes, I, I hit the brain. He's like, then why is he dead? He goes, you, it worked in the movies. Well, you mean the movie lied? <laughs> <laughs> oh man! And then they and then they end up cutting off his head, and then that doesn't work. Now you have a headless zombie still trying to come after them, and it's just like it's going crazy. I just thought, and, and it's like they the whole thing with that they had to build that suit up around the actor. Did you know yeah. this? I uh, actually that that's something I do not know. Yeah, they built up. Um, they didn't want to make it look like Frankensteinish, but they did build it up a little bit so that the actor could get his head below, like the shoulders and everything. So all everything, uh, the shoulder and the sawed-off head, everything, all that is built up on top of the actor. Punks in the graveyard, 9.16 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. They're telling Trash to put her clothes back on, I mean, which I don't get, unless they just, they've seen this, the show so many times that they're just not amused by it anymore. But I'm not sure if you have noticed, like, um, what was the character's name, Suicide? Like, the entire scene, she's got her hand on his dick, the entire part of that scene, and he's just standing there talking about how disrespectful they're being to the dead. You know? Well, it's almost like she was about to blow him. Exactly. And, and, yeah. 
And I think that's why he shrug- he you know he shrugged her off. It's just funny though. You know, it's just like, okay, well I'm sorry, I'm not gonna sit here and be talking about um bitching about how people only use me for my ride and how we're disrespecting the dead and all this stuff. And I'm like, dude, I got a naked chick that's grabbing my dick right now. What am I thinking about? Oh, he he's more concerned about his image. He's like, Do you, you know, do you think I put this on? You know, you, you think this is fake? It, it it's a statement. <laughs> that's right. It's a way of life. Yeah. Um, but I, I also love the intro um, in the next scene when we get introduced to Ernie, uh, Don Coffa. And uh, so, so Bert and Ernie are now in the same scene. And then it's like we, we see him working on a dead body and he starts really going through the process of the rigor mortis, which really once again foreshadows what's coming later on in the movie between Freddie and Frank. Yeah, Absolutely. So and how it starts in the brain and all that stuff. So it's just then to the internal organs. It just really, really just lays everything out about what these guys are going to be going through in a very short amount of time. Uh, actually, like kind of you know when he's going through it, 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 it seems very legitimate. You know, it's like he's actually knowledgeable uh, about the whole process, the embalming process, and you know. Yes. Exactly. And then um, <laughs> I love when they, when Freddie and Frank come in. And by the way, I'm not sure if you knew this or not, but inside the plastic bags, um, where we're knowing that the body was all sawed up and it's just the body moving around, it was actually one of those little monkey shine, um, symbol clapping monkeys that they took the symbols off and actually put it in the bag and wound it up and put it in the bag so that they had movement in the bags and everything. I was like, that's brilliant. You know? So, uh, yeah, it was, it was like, you know, a cheap way to do animatronics. Yeah, I did, I did read about that, taking the symbols off. Yeah, absolutely. So then it's like, <laughs> Ernie's like, what the hell's in those bags, Bert? And he's like, rabid weasels. And I'm going to play that clip right now. What the hell is in those bags? Rabbit weasels. What? What the hell are you doing with a bunch of rabbit weasels? I was trying to explain to you, Ernie. You know, they came in as part of a shipment. Of course, they weren't supposed to be a rabbit, you know, but you know how these things happen. No, I don't. How do they happen? Well, watch out. Watch out, Ernie. Don't get bit. That's just that that whole line was just like the way he delivered it. Everything was just I just thought it was absolutely funny as hell. Yeah, and then, you know, he starts kind of going into the whole, hey, uh, you know, you have a crematorium. Yeah, and he's like, I'm not going to burn a bunch of weasels. And then he has to come clean and actually physically tell them what it really is. What the hell do you want me to do? You have a crematorium, right? You want to burn them? Yeah, that's what I had in mind, actually. That's cruel. Well, I can't think of anything else to do. You, you, you just can't burn animals alive. It's just too hideous, isn't it? At least let me kill him first. Take him out in the parking lot and put him out of their misery. I don't think that'd work, Ernie. I don't, I don't understand what's going on, but why not? Uh, can you swear to keep a secret, Ernie? At this point, I don't know. No, no, you, you gotta swear. You got to. I just can't, I can't tell you. All right. I swear. Good. 
It's not weasels in the bags. No, no kidding. Okay, okay. And that's that's so funny, man. You know, uh, Frank had to kind of, or actually, well, Bert had to kind of sell that whole thing. You know, with that arm. Uh, if you look at it, actually, in that scene, it like actually lets go of his leg for a good like two seconds, and then he kind of has to push the le- the uh, the arm back onto his leg. Yes, you know. Yes, we're now back with the punks again, and um, you know they're just you know Chuck and the. And Jules' character, Casey, are talking about trash and suicide. And, you know, they're talking about 10 o'clock because that's when they're going to go pick up Freddy. And um, then once again, Chuck's trying to get it on with her. And then she's like, you know, go choke a chicken. (laughs) Yeah, that was the, oh, I'm hot. And he's like, yeah, you are hot. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, he he basically his his whole deal for the whole night. He's trying to get laid, of course, and she's just not having it. It's funny. I'm not sure if you watch any interviews with her, but when you see interviews with her and like normal like her normal personality, it's like her her playing Casey really wasn't that much of a stretch. I'm not sure yeah. if you've I'm, I'm not sure if you've ever watched an interview with her, but watch the documentary if you haven't. And you see her on there, you're like, oh, my God, she's like still Casey out of character. <laughs> but then during the scene, Tina breaks off to go get Freddy and leaves the punks by themselves. And then uh, at that point, uh, we get the uh, get the crematorium scene where they throw the bags into uh, the crematorium and burn the bags and up the chimney comes the smoke and then the rain starts and we know what's coming from that point. Oh yeah. So they're all celebrating like they just got gained a victory and little do they know that their problems are just starting. So then we uh, we follow Tina over to the Unita Medical Supply where we are introduced to I'm not sure about you but it's I know it's my favorite zombie and any zombie ever is the Tar Man. And uh, do you remember the scene? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, she's uh, going to look for Freddy, and uh, she goes downstairs. Surprisingly, the third step doesn't break at that point. But it does squeak <laughs> quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we all know at this point that with the whole foreshadowing you know, aspect of it. Uh, I think that pretty much gives it away that she's going to run away, and she's going to fall through those steps. It's got to happen at some point. It has to. Oh yeah, definitely. But I'm not sure if you noticed, like, uh, as soon as like she's down there, and then we get an inter- introduction to Tarman, and she sees him. There's actually the vertigo shot, you know, of her standing there, and it's like there's the vertigo, like where the where uh, they're zooming in, and the camera's pulling back, and it's like that whole. It's it was overused a lot in the '80s because it was made famous in the movie Vertigo. Yeah. And then it's like the whole the whole funny thing is is like you know in the actual film is they actually have Tar Man talking like a normal just like beast like brains like brains, but in the original I actually like the original voice better and I think I was telling you this off the air 
where it's almost like because I think they re-edited that to make him a little bit more scary because they're realizing that they're getting really comedy-based going on. And But the original voice, I thought, fit the tone of the character in the film so much better because, and then we'll cover this in a few minutes, but the way he talked was almost like, brains you know it was like he was like this inquisitive like playful puppy that just happened to be very dangerous you know so it's just (laughs) it's just funny how how the original sounded compared to the to the to the actual release so yeah when you say the original are you talking about like when they actually put out the uh, theatrical version and then when it came to vhs they changed it no it was actually it was in the work print Okay. And it was actually it was in all the promo material, like all the trailers, the TV spots, etc. The the original voice was in there, and because when uh, Spider throws the paint can down after he's eating Suicide's brains, uh, he throws the paint can down and he like uh, stutters and then looks up and he goes more brains and he says it like that in the trailer i mean go go watch the trailer everybody pop that in your google machine go go look it up it's there but uh in the actual movie is like more brains and it's like okay well i kind of like the original voice better you know so yeah you know a cool part about the tar man i was actually reading about um which really kind of sold uh you know the movement of tar man uh it was a big deal um you know how you you can watch how he moves he kind of just shudders around it's you know i read that the reason that they had him walk like that is to really give that effect that you know if he he, he's he's pretty much almost going to fall apart but he's he knows he's going to so that's why he kind of shudders around he doesn't take huge steps so if he did that he would fall apart so then we're um we're back over at the uh, at the morgue where Frank and Freddie are really starting to take a turn for the worse, where they're really not starting to feel well, and they're talking about getting getting a doctor. And uh, uh, Clue is talking about taking him to the to the emergency room, and um, you know, then they decide that they're too sick to even go in the car because they're puking everywhere and not feeling well. So they end up just calling calling an ambulance to come there. Which uh, leads to some pretty funny uh, zombie stuff on the radio a little bit later, which we'll get to. Um, did you know the first time you saw this movie? Did you know at that point that they were just like they were knocking on death's door? Yeah, I think that was kind of obvious. You know, just kind of uh, progressing through the film. You know, you can tell their skin tone starts changing. They start getting more white. They're you know they have the uh, eyes are dark. Yeah, the eyes starting dark. I mean, it was it's getting very obvious at this point. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, like the acid rains. Or I say acid rain. That's what they. That's what they said. You know, the punks are trying to get underneath shelter. Which uh, the roof starts leaking on the car, so it drives them back into the cemetery. Which uh, this is where forty five graves. Do you want a party? Starts with the skeleton coming up out of the ground. Hey, 
anyone that hasn't seen it, go watch the documentary um, More More Brains, and they talk about how they did the whole skeleton and how Dan O'Bannon actually really didn't even like the like the finished product because it, I mean this was the producer that that did it, so it was his call. But Dan O'Bannon actually wanted to yellow up the the skeleton a little bit, make it a little bit more grotesque looking because he thought that the skeleton actually looked too clean coming out of the ground that's been reduced to just bone. Yeah, and you know, that's almost kind of, you know, getting getting into the talk about the yellowing of the bone and stuff like that. It almost goes back to a lot of the, you know, the mask-making uh, world. Sometimes, you know... Uh, People over yellow things. Uh, does it look as natural? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I agree. But then uh, over at you need a medical supply. The punks run over. They hear Tina, which I thought. And this is the one thing that we haven't covered yet: is the zombies in this film are unlike anything that we've had ever seen. I mean, we've seen at this point. We've seen Twenty Eight Days Later. We've seen all these like. Uh, zombies that run we've seen all that stuff but one of the things i really liked about the return of the living dead zombies is they actually weren't just mindless zombies they actually could reason and they could uh they could talk and they could run they could they could uh set traps basically they were smart you know and they had they had purpose you know to to everything which we'll cover more of later but just being able to talk and 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 say and run and do all this uh, all these other things it's not like your typical zombies that you see even today yeah and i think they uh they set the the president for that uh they were definitely the first to do that with zombies absolutely and it's like you know they've tried to do it in the sequels and i'm not talking about part 2 i think part 2 was part 2 is what it is but i think it was more close in tone closer in tone with part one but when you get into three four and five it's just like i don't know i i i really don't understand how you can say i'm going to be making a return of the living dead film and not honestly not go study the first film and go okay how did they do it what was so brilliant about it i'm going to try to follow that as much as possible the blueprint was right there anyway um but yeah, I loved, I love when they get downstairs and downstairs, and then suicide is like, what the fuck? And he pulls the, pulls the sheet back, and you say you hear Tarman, and like once again the original voices, brains, <laughs> you know, he's like all excited, brains. Oh yeah. <laughs> But uh, Alan Alan Troutman actually played the Tar Man in Part One and in Part Two, and he was also Jim Henson's uh, um, puppeteer guy from um, the Muppets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did a lot of that. Did a lot of voiceover work uh, with cartoons later on uh, through the '90s and up into the 2000s. You know, we get back to the paramedics where the paramedics are taking the temperatures and, you know, they are saying, you know, no heartbeat, no, or what is it? No, no heartbeat, no pulse or something. No, yeah, no right. pulse. Yeah, no pulse. Yeah, no pulse. And that they're 70 degrees. 
So they're saying that, you know, like the whole thing that they're trying to say that they're dead, but they're not dead. And this whole joke thing's going on. Um, and then there was like, you know, then they get down to um, the paramedics exit. They get attacked by the zombies. And then, of course, the the whole thing is. Come in this dash. Send more <laughs> yeah 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 that's what i love about it and that's why i thought it was cool you know like those the toxins they were uh, introduced so yeah that was the whole thing they're like they're gonna retain their thought process their you know their movements you know that whole deal so that's that was the first you know that was the first time that ever, that ever happened yeah and then it's like uh what i loved about that is they kept repeating that joke and it's like it, it got funnier because you know they sent more paramedics and then so they ambush those paramedics and then the guy comes in and goes like nobody ever caught on they just kept sending more and more and yeah it's like you know what what happens when you could become a paramedic or or a cop you know do you have tastier brains than other people or what you know Oh well, they, they just knew it was an easy target, and every time they showed up, they were just swarming them. Yeah, exactly. Um, then you have the punks that show up at the at the morgue, where they all kind of get uh, trapped in there, and that seems to be like where they're going to set up shop and try to survive. And then all of a sudden, we have another. Um, 80s rock song and then magically magically everybody has hammer nails and wood to board up the uh, to board up the windows with yeah they run into that closet and everybody just has weapons yeah uh, yeah yeah it's great <laughs> I love Miguel's Nunez's uh, um, Ernie's like who's out there and he's like don't you hear that shut up and listen and he's like what is that and he goes it's the dead people screaming man <laughs> <laughs> they came up from the ground and they're after us. <laughs> but um this is where, you know, trash uh Linnea kind of reanimates into the into the zombie and um yeah, I mean, speak be, before we talk about that, you know, let's talk about the like the boarded up scene when they boarded up I'm not sure if you picked up on it, but that was a total throwback to Night of the Living Dead. With I mean, it really felt like Night of the Living Dead, you know, during that. Yeah, little, abs- absolutely. Yeah, where you had the zombies coming through and all that stuff. And then you get into like the '90s version, you know, the 1990 version. Uh, yeah, same deal. You know, they were really big about boarding that house up. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but then you have trash coming back to life and reanimating and uh you got the bum i actually felt sorry for that bum he's like you know he 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 hasn't he hasn't seen or felt pussy in probably years and all of a sudden he's seen this naked chick and he's like this is awesome and then he gets his fucking brains eaten out i felt bad for the guy you know i always i uh, see her you know after she's you know reanimated in a way or whatever and uh i always think she almost looks like a vampire in a way because they like greater skin out with that red hair. Yes. Yep. 
And not only that is I I don't understand why and maybe you know, but why did they elongate her jaw and give her that huge mouth for the zombie part of her? Do you do you know why? I don't know. Was it is it actually gone over in the documentary? I might have missed that part. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I must have missed it too. Yeah, I don't know. I guess they were just trying to do something different to make her not look like they just painted her up and she still had that red hair. Yep, absolutely. Um, but then I love. I, I'm starting to feel bad for uh, Freddie and Frank how they're starting to just hurt and moan and and then Ernie like pulls up uh, Freddie's shirt and he's noticing all the bruising and saying that's where the blood's pooling and all that stuff. So, you know, you're really starting to see things go quite south for those guys. Yeah, that's basically when they start recognizing that the rigor mortis is setting in. Yep, exactly. So that, once again, we're going back to the beginning of the setup. And, I mean, it's all, you know, it's all starting to come to light about what is truly happening to these guys. Yeah, and I kind of like the fact that they foreshadowed so much in this movie. Uh it kind of nonchalantly, so you know, it comes back and you're like, "Oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense." Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, in the front, they go out there, and then this is where we get introduced to my second favorite zombie ever, which was the the zombie that gets ripped in half, basically bites um, whatever his name was. Do you remember his name? His uh, character yes, name? yes, Scuzz. Scuzz, yeah. Bite scuzz, and then all of a sudden they lay her out on the on the table, which was for 1984 was fantastic. Where they actually tie up a zombie and interview the zombie. <laughs> yeah, and actually, you know, you watch it on the table, and they show a side shot. You can't tell that there's somebody actually under there uh, controlling the head as a puppet. Right. Exactly. And then, like, uh, I, I know I, I I told you this off the air, but they uh, were actually taking. Uh, actual glycerin um, in between takes and putting it out on the table at the end of like where the spine was severed and that's spinal supposed to be spinal fluid that's uh, leaking out onto the onto the gurney or onto the table yeah and that's the cool part you know you have the the puppeteer controlling the head and then they have an actual animatronic controlling the spine as it moves back and forth yeah and we're actually going to go ahead and play this clip now of the interview, and then we're going to comment on it when we come back. You can hear me. Yes. Why do you eat people? Not people. Brains. Brains only. Yes. Why? The pain. What about the pain? The pain of being dead. It hurts to be dead. I can feel myself rot. Eating brains. How does that make you feel? It makes the pain go away. All right, so I love that scene. You know, we actually... Oh, yeah. Once again, we get to get reason of why they're doing things, and it totally makes sense. You know, like, you know, we watch zombie flicks today, and it's like, okay, well, they, tur- they, they turn into zombies, they reanimate, and they're just basically turning into mindless 
killers, basically. But here, you know, we find out that being dead actually hurts, and the brains actually takes takes away their pain. They have a they have a motive. And I think that's like it said. It said the president for all zombie movies moving forward at that point. If you actually knew about that, you know, I mean, any other movie, you know, zombie movie, you're, you're unless you really know about Return of the Living Dead, you're not really that's not really in the back of your mind, and that's never explained. Uh-huh. So then, you know, things get really, really, really bad for Frank and Freddy as they. You know they're moved to the to the chapel. Basically, Freddy turns on, uh, finally reanimates, comes back, and he says, "What to Tina?" Live brains. That's right, and we're gonna play that clip now. I can finally see one thing. The one thing only that can leave this world with suffering. So one thing that really stands out for me is when he starts trying to attack Tina during the scene is like, you know, how he's just foaming at the mouth. I mean, that was creepy. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Actually, in that scene, does it actually show when his eyes start uh, swelling up? Yes. Well, that's because they threw the acid in his eyes. That's right. Yeah, I do remember that. I forgot about that. That's whenever uh, Ernie has that acid in his hands, and he's like, well, that's not going to be enough. You know, Bert says, that's not going to be enough for all those zombies. And then, of course, you know, you have uh, uh, Bert and Spider that makes a run for it to the cop car uh, to drive out of there, and they think that they're only being surrounded by the ones outside the morgue. But as they get down the street, they see that they got, like, several thousand more (laughs) zombies. Yeah, they're basically getting cornered off everywhere they go. Exactly, which drives them back to you need a medical supply, which we know we made reference to it earlier. I love Spider's line uh, when uh, Bert says, "Yeah, we got a phone down in the basement." He goes, "It's got one of those, one of those fucking, fucking dead things down there. And it's a real nasty one too. He's all black and slimy." <laughs> <laughs> um. But so, you know, so then it's like they, we, we got uh, Freddy chasing Tina and, um, and Ernie up into the attic where he's trying to sweet talk her. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Even though he's trying to kill her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's the best part about them having, still having their thought process. He's like, I'm trying to coax her into opening that door so I can get to her. Yeah. And I just, I love that where he's like, Tina, it was wrong for you to lock me up, darling. I had to hurt myself to get out, but I forgive you, darling. And I know you're here because I can smell your brains. Brains. <laughs> <laughs> you know, honestly, you, know, you look at that scene, though. Uh, Ernie, like, she's, uh, you know, Ernie's kind of holding her at one point, and he has that gun in his hand, and he's, I think, at, at one point, he's thinking about sacrificing her. He's thinking about. Shooting her and tossing her, or t- tossing her down. Um, I don't think so. I don't think th- I. You know, maybe I don't know. He kind of gives that look to her, though. He kind of like looks down at her and he's like, "Hmm." I think what I think what he was prepared to do, and this is just I mean, this is the way like I'm saying it was shot beautifully because it leaves it open to the interpretation for you to make up your own mind. Uh, 
what I think what they were probably insinuating was that if Freddy actually broke through, he was going to shoot her and shoot himself so that they didn't have to be alive to suffer him eating eating their brains. Yeah, you see him. He he's kind of lo- he looks down at her, and he starts slowly. You know, he's shaking with that gun in his hand. He's slowly moving that gun towards her head. Yep, exactly. And um, one of the things I'm, you know, they didn't show it, but uh, but then he's still shouting through there, and he says, "Now you made me hurt myself again. You made my, you made me break my hand completely off this time." <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just just trying to make her feel bad, so she comes out. Yeah. So, um, it would have been really cool though to to kind of see that. You know, <laughs> it's like how he broke his hand off completely off. But uh, but then they finally, finally back over. You need a medical supply. They finally call the number on the side of the canisters. And once again, it's it's that fucking colonel that is just a straight up asshole in the middle of the night. And I'm not sure if you picked up on it on this scene. I know I did when I was a kid, but when I researched it and then watched uh, more brains, I I finally got it answered for me, like what it was, like 25 years later. Um, but it was funny because when he wakes up to answer that phone in the middle of the night, you see something kind of darting around behind his bed. And you're like, what the hell is that back there? It looks like a person. And I'm like, Oh, that's a zombie back there. Well, what's a zombie doing all the way over, like wherever this guy is, you know, he's supposed to be in San Francisco, I believe. Exactly. So I'm like, well, you know, the, the, it hasn't gotten all the way to him yet. So what the hell is that? Come to find out that's a boom mic in the shot. <laughs> you go back to that point. You talk about like Halloween, where you can see people, you know, squatting down. There's a, there's several instances of really? that. Really, I did. I never noticed that. Oh yeah, there's several screenshots where you can uh, see people like hiding in the closets. You can clearly see their faces. You're gonna you're gonna ruin the fucking movie for me now, aren't you? <laughs> well, no, but it kind of it, once I start seeing that, and you know, I love Halloween, I, the original, you know, Halloween, but. That kind of stuff, I'm just like, oh, man, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so then, you know, we're told that uh, that they have a contingency plan for this and they're going to take care of it. And they didn't know what was coming next was they nuked Louisville, Kentucky. Yep. In the cheesiest way ever. <laughs> yeah, I think it was uh, I think there was actually a miniature. Yeah, definitely. Oh, well, definitely the town, but also the well, funny. Oh, it, it looks like a tank that shoots off a nuke. Yeah, exactly. I mean, come on. A tank is not going to shoot a nuke off. You sure about that? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but then, yeah, it's like then they, you know, you got the fires going and then all of a sudden the rain starts and it all starts over again. Yeah, but oh yeah, what do they say like what four thousand dead? Not that many casualties. Yeah, only four thousand. Yeah. yeah, only only four thousand. Oh, we contained it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and the rain's gonna take care of it. Oh yeah, and then it starts all over again. Yep, and then it's just history repeating itself, and you're led to believe. I I think they could have stopped with that with just that movie, um, because the way it, the way the way it comes across. And I think Dan O'Bannon only meant it for be a to be a one-off, and that's it. And the reason why I think that 
is because they've already led us through the entire movie that, hey, you can't kill these fucking things unless you burn them. You know? And anytime you burn them or incinerate them, like you nuke them, well, first of all, you're killing innocent people also by it while killing the zombies. But every time that you nuke them like that and then incinerate them, the smoke's going to go up and reanimate more things. So, once again, you're just going to keep continuing this process until there's nothing left on Earth. Yeah, basically, you're just not stopping it. Yeah, so that's the way it left me at the very end of part one. So I'm like, okay, they really don't need a part two. Yeah, exactly. I mean, part two was fun. I mean, like I said, we'll probably cover it in long form at some point. It was fun, but uh, it nowhere near had the charm and the magic that the first one had. No, not at all. And then it just kind of went downhill from there. Downhill? Dude, it it jumped off a fucking cliff. Like with... <laughs> I'm sorry. Like people are like, "Oh, well, I like part three was a love story." I, I, I'm I'm sorry. We're talking about zombies here. I, we're not watching Twilight. You know, I, I don't give a shit about the love story. I want to see. I want to see Frank and Freddie come back for a third time. <laughs> I want to. I, I want to continue the formula. You know, part three was they jumped the shark, and then part four was even worse. I tried. I tried watching part four recently. I never watched it. Tried watching it. And I stopped 15 minutes in um, when the guy shot the zombie in the head and the zombie died. And I'm like, okay, you guys obviously don't know what these zombies are all about. No, and and that's the problem. They never kept that same chemistry throughout the flicks. No. It happened in the first two, and then after that they said, oh, fuck it, let's just pretend it didn't happen. Yeah, we should get to the, like... At this point, where you know we're getting to the credits, you know I, that's kind of my favorite part in a way because it really highlights the whole movie, shows a lot of the good parts. You know, you would th- you would expect you start you know once the credits kick off, you're like, oh, I'll probably get, you know they start showing these these parts, and you're like, oh, I bet they're gonna show like uh, you know um, like uh, outtakes, outtakes, yeah, yeah, but it's just highlighting the flick, and then it blacks out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to Halloween Unleashed. Be sure to download, rate, and subscribe anywhere you download your podcasts. From Apple, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio. And then join our social media channels at our official Facebook page at facebook.com slash groups slash Halloween Unleashed. On Instagram at Halloween Unleashed. And on Twitter at HWeen Unleashed. Be sure to share our episodes in your horror groups on your timeline and on Instagram. We'll be back next week with an all-new episode of Halloween Unleashed.